book of Revelation, chapter 21. I'm going to preach on the last two verses of chapter 22, uh, but we'll read the last verses from 18 to 21. If you will listen as I read, there is a warning and then a promise of Christ's quick coming in John's response and then benediction. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen, even so come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. You may be seated. Let me pray now for the blessing of the preaching of God's holy word. Lord, as we come to you this morning, we would ask that our hearts might be fit to receive what you alone are able to do through your word. That is to give life to those who are in darkness and death and rebellion and to nurture those who are your children. The way of righteousness, Lord, that you would do these two things this morning, if need be. You, by your word, would bring about the fulfillment of the salvation of the nations and of the increase of your kingdom and peace. That we would be a people whose lives are built upon your promises and empowered by your holy benedictions. These things we ask in your name. Amen. We come this morning to the end of this glorious book given to the church in every age that they might be given a perspective that is more glorious and grand than all that men may say to us. I will do two sermons on sort of the themes of the book of Revelation. As we leave this book, I wish to leave you with a couple of particular encouragements that will be the next two Sundays, June 25th and July 2nd. And then uh, when I come back from traveling, we will begin the book of Romans. Another glorious book, a different kind of book altogether. But as is all of Scripture, God-breathed and profitable for the Christian life, for godliness. This morning, the close of the book of Revelation... John relays to the church again the theme that is spoken of time and again of the quick coming of Christ, of this promise fulfilled, and then the attending benediction or blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the church. Those two words from Christ will be my two main headings this morning. First, a promise fulfilled. A promise fulfilled, and then second, a blessing poured out. A blessing poured out. Let's look at the first one. Really, it's a promise repeated that would be fulfilled for John. And for us today, we look back on what took place in Jerusalem in 70 AD as a promise fulfilled. Now, what does it mean when Christ says, surely I am coming quickly? Now, there are many who would take this passage to mean, and I think that's perhaps the majority view 
among many in the church today that Christ speaks of his quick coming at the end of the age of men. If that is the case, then Christ has an exaggeration problem. By that I mean 2,000 years is not quick. It is certainly not a kind prediction or a kind promise if Christ says, surely I am quickly coming, and then waits for over 2,000 years to return to us. As I have said throughout the book of Revelation, whatever category you want to place this into, Christ time and time again says, I'm coming quickly, the time is short, repentance is at hand. All of these things were given to the church, the first age of the church, the first generation rather. And this coming quickly refers not to his second coming at the end of the age of men, the end of the New Testament or New Covenant church, but the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. And so in Revelation 1, 3, Christ says, blessed, or John writes, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. And then Revelation 3.11, Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. Christ is, of, church, of course, talking to the churches in Asia Minor. You know this. Hold fast, I'm coming quickly. Revelation 4.1, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Right away. Soon after, Revelation 22, 7, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. Revelation 22, 10, He said to me, Do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Now, I'm sure you have the power of perfect recall. And you can remember all that I've said in the past... How many sermons? I think 66 sermons... I don't remember all that I've said. But I remember this. The words of the prophecy relate to the coming of Christ and his coming in judgment of Jerusalem. This statement, coming quickly, is not new. And it is given to the church so that they may see what is coming and what they see in AD 70 will confirm to them that the words of Christ are trustworthy and true. This is what the fulfillment of prophecies do. They assure us of the divinity, the authority of the one who speaks. Now, what I mean by divinity is that those prophets of the Old Testament who spoke on behalf of the Lord, all of those things coming true in the Messiah and things related to the kingdom testify to the trustworthiness of the one who gave them the words, God himself. And with the destruction of the old Jerusalem, the coming in of the new the casting out of the old harlot, and then that new righteous bride coming, the one who is the city of God dressed in glory, dressed in light, the destruction of the temple by Rome, all of these things take place according to what God has said and what God himself has done. And so the new covenant church then, who were under a massive weight of persecution by the beast Nero, They were given the book of Revelation so that they may see an alternate view of the course of human history. 
What I mean by that is easy for us, with people with eyes in their heads and the five senses, to look at the things that are happening and to despair, forgetting what God has promised. To despair of the presence of evil in this world, and yet throughout the book of Revelation, John reminds the saints that Christ is on the throne and that the days of wicked men are numbered. Expressly Nero and the seven emperors of Rome, the downfall of Rome that would come, and Jerusalem, the harlot that was riding the beast all the way to hell, as it were. And these glorious and terrifying visions speak of Christ unfolding his plan on earth. Much of it in Revelation, in the time between John's writing and the fulfillment of it in A.D. 70, and then there are particular themes that continue to the very end of the age. Of the increase of Christ's kingdom and peace, there will be no end. So that even now, as you look at those who, throughout the world, who profess the name of Christ, we don't just have a handful, we have millions upon millions upon millions. That number will increase. Such that when the city of God fully comes to earth as it is in heaven, the world that exists now will not be able to hold all the saints. There will be need for renovation, expansion. As we read in the Psalms, the, the walls of the tent, the pegs must be pulled up and they must be unfurled so that it can make accommodations for all of those who will be brought in. And so Christ says, I'm coming quickly. I am coming. This is the one who testifies. And so that when Christ comes in judgment in Jerusalem, it puts a kind of authenticating stamp on everything. Not only that is in the book of Revelation, the past 22 chapters, but all that is in here is made authoritative. It is testified to as to its sure confession by the coming of Christ and the destruction of Jerusalem. We are not waiting for the coming of Christ to make sure that this is true. It is already testified to as true. And what John is saying even here is that canon is now closed. Now, if you have been told, and many of you may have been told this, that the way in which the canon or the rule of Scripture was decided, I spoke about this last week, is by the counsels of men, that is wrong. Men did not determine what was in Scripture. God determined. And when John was writing these words and wrote at the end of Scripture, Amen, let it be, may it be so, John understood that the word that Christ gave him here is the final word. It's done. Nothing is to be added. Nothing is to be taken away. Nothing is to be seen as equal to or as authoritative as Scripture. This is it. It's the most important book on your shelf. This is what you ought to read. This is what you ought to know. And so as Christ says, I'm coming, all that he has said before hinges upon the fulfillment of his promise that is made true in the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. We are not waiting for the authentication of his promises. They are already authenticated. And so what is John's response then? May it be. Amen. Let it be so. Lord, come. Come. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. John is pleading with Christ 
to make sure, to add the surety of all that he has said in his coming. This is a faithful response. John is taking God at his word. He is taking all that Christ has said, all that he has seen, and he has seen some glorious things, things that have brought him to his knees, things that have brought him to tears, things that have brought him to worship, strange beings that were not Christ, and he was corrected. He wants it to happen. And he ought to want it to happen. This is what the heart of every saint should want, is for Christ to fulfill what he has promised. In fact, if you are here this morning in worship, you are here because your life is grounded upon this reality that there is a God who have in heaven who has made himself known, that he dwells among his people by the Holy Spirit, and that when he speaks, it is powerful, lively, present speech. That he is not only transcendent above the heavens, but he is imminent, that he dwells among the weak and lowly. That he comforts the mourning. That he celebrates with those who are rejoicing. That he laughs and he cries. He is the one who came and when meeting with Mary upon the death of their brother, weeps. And he wept for he knew the cause of sin and the catastrophe of sin and the misery of it. He had in mind his own coming death. And of course, the means by which you and I would be raised from the dead. That glorious glimpse in the resurrection of Lazarus himself. Those of you who know the word, I want you to just spend some time. This is something you ought to do on a Lord's Day afternoon. And recount in chronological order or in the order in which scripture is written. All of the stories that you can remember. I want you to begin with creation. And then the fall. And then Adam and Eve being removed from the garden. Their first sons born to them. And then the line of men after hundreds of years. And then the time of Noah and the flood. The failure of men to move past that place. The building of Babel. The judgment of God. The calling of the patriarchs, so on and so on. Sit and recall the glorious works of God in the history of his covenant people, a history that belongs to us. There are no two people of God. There is one covenant people of God, those who are elect in Christ Jesus. And so even as we will be gathered and are gathered around the throne, so there is Abraham and there is Jacob, Israel. There is Joseph and Moses and all the rest. John is not only rejoicing at what Christ has revealed to him on the Isle of Patmos after he had been dipped in hot oil and then cast into exile. And on that day, on the day of Christ's resurrection, the Lord's day, he is caught up and in those magnificent visions, Christ gives to the church the real story, the true word. A word that cannot be improved upon, either by adding or taking away. Right now, there is this push that men would take AI, have you heard this? 
and that they would plug all of the religious texts in history into the AI system and that AI would then take all of those things, synthesize them, and give us a perfect scripture. I cannot think of a more... Have y'all seen Terminator? Have you seen these films? I cannot think of a more dystopian exercise than asking for revelation from a robot. So, this is the world in which we live. Now, why is this suggestion being made? Because men are hungry for information. They want a word that is higher than their words. And sometimes that just means a word that comes from someone with a greater, more exhaustive knowledge of the world. Well, what about the one that made the world? Who dwells outside of time and space? Who is Alpha and Omega? Who has no beginning and no end? Who is infinite in his justice, his holiness, his goodness, his truth, his being, his power and glory? All of those things belong to the Lord. And so John is taking all of this and he's saying, Amen. The whole of his life is grounded upon the hope that what Christ says will come true. This is our hope. And you can have this hope in the mundane. In the day-to-day It does not mean that if you have this hope, you have got to go out and sell everything you have. Go do foreign missions. We need you here at Reformation. We need laborers in this harvest because as you see around you, Gaston County needs the gospel and the counties from which you come. Wherever you're coming from to gather for worship here, you were called to take the glorious truth that fills your hearts here out into the world. And as that light that is your life is fanned into a flame through the preaching of the word and through the administration of the sacraments, you are called to live with this beating heart revelation. It's meant to pump your blood and get you going. What is it? Whatever Christ promises, that's what I'm going to build my life upon. You are to be people of the book, of the word. This word, no more, no less. It's so simple. It's not easy, but it is simple. And so our response should be John's response. That even as Christ says, I am coming, John was looking and believing that it would be soon. Now, we see it. And John actually got to see it, as did the early church, the destruction of Jerusalem. That was that stamp that God's words are true. We see it and go, well, if Christ is right about this, if his words are trustworthy and true, if he has shown himself time and time again not to be able to lie, but to only tell the truth and have the power to do what he says he will do, which is another problem that we have. We may have good intention, right? I promise I'll do this. Mom, Dad, I promise, or maybe you'll promise to your kids, we'll go do this. We'll go get ice cream after this. And then something happens, or you're just tired. You know what I mean? Kids, you've probably had your heart broken many times by your parents saying, we'll go do X after Y. We're not doing it. Which is why I always say, we may. (laughs) We may. Because I know I'm changeable. But Christ is not. 
In fact, we just sang it. We sang of his glorious designs and the fulfillment of God to be able to accomplish all that he has promised in Psalm 87. And for the life of me, I cannot understand why Christians who have seen Christ raised from the dead, who now sits upon the throne of heaven, imagine that his kingdom will have anything other than success in its coming. Where in the world did the church get the idea that Christ cannot accomplish the fulfillment of his promises as the resurrected one. We, therefore, even get his death and resurrection wrong. What I mean by that is this. When Christ came in weakness, it was not as though he was unsuccessful. Christ came in weakness because that was what was required for victory. We go in weakness, in weakness do we not? Can you think of a weaker bunch than the saints of refuge. And I don't, I don't mean this as an insult. Boast in your weakness. But it is through the weakness of the church that the power of Christ is made perfect. When Christ was dying naked on the cross, he was destroying the power of sin. And if he is victorious in his death, how much more victorious will he be as king of heaven and earth? He wasn't even on the throne at that time. That was his reward. And so, our, sorry, I'm getting excited. I'm not angry, although my voice may get excited. We should say, Lord, whatever you promise, I'll sell everything. That is, I will be sold out to the building and the work of your kingdom. Like a man who finds the pearl of great price, we are those who have found the gospel, or the gospel has found us, and our lives are to be devoted to that. And so when you are going about your daily rituals, think of Christ and him crucified, Christ risen, Christ exalted, Christ coming again. Do the dishes for the glory of Christ. You can do that or you cannot. How do you invalidate that? You complain. You talk back. You think, oh, why do I have to do it again? Because that's your calling. (laughs) Whatever it may be. There are no little people. There are no little jobs. As Luther said to someone who asked him that a man who digs ditches to the glory of God is greater, of of more obedience to God than all the bishops of Rome who were actively disobedient to God at that time, obscuring his word, leading people astray. Be a ditch digger who knows Romans 1 through 3. Those of you who ride the bus to work, listen to the Bible. Those of you who go about your daily tasks, listen to the Bible. Speak of it in your homes, Moses says. When you get up, when you lie down, when you go along the way. Our response should be, whatever Christ has said, that settles it. Don't tell me something else. All things must comport with Scripture because it is the only infallible rule for faith in life. John's response should be ours. Amen. Now, he's saying amen. You can say amen. Sorry. Presbyterians don't know how to do amen very well, right? It's like when Vody Balkan is always 
preaching, he's preaching to like a bunch of reform guys. He goes, amen. They're like, oh, uh, amen. You, know, you have to like tell them when to do it. But John is saying to the church, this is our response. And then the benediction. It's a blessing poured out. From this point on, every time you hear the benediction, I want you to think of some things. What I've spoken here is not John closing the letter in his own words. John is writing, but Jesus is the one speaking. By the Holy Spirit, John says to the church, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Now, that's an easy benediction to remember. There are some Sundays where I will begin to pronounce the benediction, and it just it's gone. It's what you call a senior moment, I think, is what it's referred to as. Those of you who are more senior are probably rolling your eyes right now, but nonetheless, it's the benediction. The last words that Christ speaks to his church is grace that comes from him. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The benediction does not belong to men. It belongs to Christ. And it comes to us by right of his high priestly office. The first benediction of scripture that Christ speaks to his people is Numbers chapter 6. That's the benediction that I always give. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you, be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. I remembered. (laughs) It's because I didn't overthink it. Aaron was to raise his hands over the people of God and pronounce that benediction. Now, there is some confusion in the church what the person who is receiving the benediction is to do, right? What do I do with my hands? That's the question. Well, you are not to close your eyes. I'm not going to chastise you if you close your eyes because the benediction is not a prayer. In fact, the only men in the OPC who can give the benediction are those who are called to the office of pastor. And in some fashion, it is correlate to the office of priest. They are to maintain and minister the word of God among the people of God. And for that reason, only pastors can give it. So when we have elders who may fill in from time to time or licentions that come, they close in prayer. What is the difference between a prayer in a benediction. Children, you know what the difference between an interrogative and a declarative sentence is? Do you know the difference? An interrogative ends with what? A question mark. Now, I'm not saying that these prayers end in a question mark like, are you going to do it? But it is a petition. It is given from a state of humble pleading, Lord, would you please bless the people? A benediction is a full-throated, confident assertion given by the man of God that Christ is blessing his people. It ends with an exclamation point. I know this one doesn't, but you know what I mean. It is that stamp of authority. Christ is blessing his people. And that benediction and the glory of it, the power and the authenticity of it does not lie in the righteousness of the man giving it, but in Christ's merits, his glory, his ascended glory. And it speaks of his prevailing, ever-present grace. 
And so even as John says, amen, even so come, Lord Jesus, the benediction flows forth from the promises of God as the fruit belongs to the tree and its roots. What are the roots of the benediction? God's redeeming power and purposes. It's a blessing. And it's not a general blessing. It's a high priestly blessing. We see this in the book of Hebrews where Christ is the great high priest. He is the great high priest because he need only make one sacrifice, his own blood. And having made that sacrifice, the writer of Hebrews says, he now enters into the heavenly temple where he mediates a glorious covenant. He is not re-offered one offering of sins and now serves as the great high priest. And so every morning and evening... If you're wondering why to come back to worship on Sunday evening, it's because Christ is speaking to you. And he says, I'm going to bless you. And if you can find that somewhere else, go there and I will join you. But until you can find a benediction either televised or in some other locale besides the sanctuary of God, then you should be here. Because it is his blessing. There is no blessing like it. And I'm telling you, we live among a people who are looking for constant blessings. Right now, in the city of Los Angeles, they had an ordination service for tranny nuns at Dodger Stadium. This is another reason why I'm a Braves fan. I'm sure the Braves have their problems too. Every corporation in America, this is what they are doing. They are ordaining, as it were. They are saying, we give our amens to this kind of thing. The complete inversion of what God calls good. And every Christian that does not actively testify to something more glorious than that is losing the battle. And this is a problem. Because men were made for worship. Why are they combining the vestiges of religious symbolatry with sexual liberty. Why? Because they're trying to baptize it with something that makes it look right. You and I, to our very core, desire a kind of information that will set us free, that will make us feel whole. But there is only one benediction that matters. And it does not come, children, from your father or mother. It does not come from the fathers of the civil sphere or even from the officers of the church. It comes from one fount. And that is the fount that is drawn from Christ's precious blood shed at Calvary. And our lives are to be lives, not only mouths that say, Amen, even so come, Lord Jesus, who's, who receive the blessings of Christ, but our, life trans, our lives transformed by that dual glory of his promise and his blessing. Because we are to live, as the psalmist says, in fact, if you want to turn there, Psalm 124. If, I had not, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord on our side, when men rose up against us, then we would have swallowed, they would have swallowed us alive. 
When their wrath was kindled against us and the waters would have overwhelmed us, the stream would have gone over our soul and the swollen waters would have gone over our soul. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us his teeth to their, a prey to their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. When you hear the blessing, all of this should be in your mind. Christ isn't just saying, I really like you guys. It's deep and it's rich and it's covenantally strong and robust. This high priestly benediction is not just a communication of Christ prevailing in ever-present grace. It is a grace that takes us all the way through our lives. Without it, we have no hope for salvation. We have no hope. And what the world is calling us to is countless, vague, elusive benedictions. In fact, tonight we'll look at that from Proverbs chapter 5. There is the tempting woman who says, I will bless you. Right there is the market and it says, this is what you really want. You want untold wealth. Well, okay, there's nothing wrong with wealth. But what are we building our life upon? Is it the rock or is it the sand? Do we live lives built upon the benedicting, the blessing grace of God? And so to these words, having seen and heard all that God has said, what shall you say? Now when I say what shall you say, I'm not asking, do you agree with my eschatological position? Are you a partial preterist? What are you? Let's talk about it. I mean, that's fun conversation over coffee. The rub of the matter is here in the last five verses of the book. Are you a person of the word? And is your life built upon that word? That's the rub. Will you do as you have been called? Will you take Christ at his word? Will you see that he is trustworthy and true? You members of the new creation, you fellows... In the hope of the resurrection, you laborers in the field of the Lord, you saints of the true and living God, first, do you know his word? Can you sit down with your children or your friends and take them from Genesis to Revelation and say, here is the unfolded, the fully revealed plan of God for salvation? You should not have to rely on your pastor to do that. You should be able to do that. And you should know why the stories in Scripture are there and what they communicate about the person and work of Jesus Christ. Do you know his word? In a world filled with all kinds of people seeking information, do you know the truth? Because you have come to the light of the world. Will you go to the rock that is higher than you and seek help from him? Are the words of Christ flesh to your bones, health to your soul? Is it the very thing your life is built upon? Is your hope built upon it? Dear friends, we are to see Scripture for what it is. The very speech of God given to us. This small book, the book of Revelation, just 22 chapters, the larger book from Genesis to Revelation, all 66 of them, 
This is God's revelation for how we are to live. God is speaking to you. It is a treasury of wisdom, of knowledge, of light and life. John wants you to hear the voice of your Redeemer and echo him. Amen and amen. Let's pray.